And yeah, I've also been in the process of like trying to get some project management strategies in order so that I can be less DIY, essentially. Mm. Just been like spending the last couple of weeks going through ancient folders <laughs> on various different USB uh, or flash drives and, and hard drives and like figuring out like, okay, what's the priority for this? How excited am I about this thing? How much money do I need to set aside for it to be a mixed if it's a song? How much more work do I need to do on it? Mm. Am I able to record the remaining parts here or do I need to like pay for studio time somewhere? So like, yeah, I'm just like asking myself a series of like questions based on priority and based on passion. It's interesting to approach things that way now or like I'm tr I'm still trying to approach things that way um, and like get into that habit of going like I can't do everything myself. I'm burning myself out way too much. That almost sounds like a warning to me because I feel like I'm at that point <laughs> where I'm like almost to that realization and I don't want to admit it. Yeah. Well, and you do I'm freelance stuff too, right? Um, Not so much. I was trying okay. to get into that a couple years ago. Yeah. But then I ended up kind of just doing my own stuff or, or my friend's stuff or whatever. Yeah. But yeah, I feel like I'm almost at that that point of like, yeah, I can't like get all of this done because <laughs> I try to, you have to write record it, mix and master it and do all the other things. I, I, then by the end of it, I just give up at social media and don't tell anyone it's out. And that's yeah. basically it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm veering that way. <laughs> like, They're all like totally separate brains too. Like it's hard to, it's not even just like straight up multitasking. It's like you have to, when you're mixing, like you have to be an engineer when you're writing, yeah. you have to be a writer. Like it's brutal to switch constantly between all those things, especially for different yeah. projects. That's what like this. So I had a realization recently that is like kind of similar to this topic in that it explores like the creation of worlds or like the creation of a fantasy realm or a fan or like a, I guess that works where like I realized that I'm not good at the things that I thought I was good at, but that doesn't mean that they're not valuable skills to have. So first I was trying to mix all my own music. And thinking I was pretty good at that because when I put on headphones and arranged tracks in a certain configuration, it made a sonic landscape that I would get lost in and that I would really appreciate, right? Mm. And then come to find out when you put it on in the car, it sounds like shit. So it's like, <laughs> oh, I didn't do any of that right. But on headphones, it was a magical experience. <laughs> so it's not, it's not without value, <laughs> right? But like it only had value to me. And then I'm like, okay, well, I can't really share that value with anybody else if it's not going to be like universal across all speakers and across all landscapes. It's not going to translate into the work that I thought that it was, right? Mm. So then, okay, let's put a little bit more research into like what am I doing wrong here and what could I be doing better when it comes to mixing? And then... That introduces a technical element that takes away from the creative element. And for me, I've always experienced this, this like clash between kind of the academic side of something and the creative side of something. I can never hold space for both of those things at once and be fully creative with the thing. And so what I'm realizing more and more is that when I view mixing as a creative endeavor and add in that technical aspect to it, suddenly that gets in the way of like, well, now I'm not creating a sonic world so much as I am scientifically figuring out how this is going to come across on other speakers, you know? And so it becomes a scientific process rather than a creative one. So I've just realized like there, there are other people who are going to be way better at this, who are trained to do it, 
who haven't just like made it an extension of their DIY art career and know better than me how to translate the creativity that I'm trying to employ to a medium where other people can enjoy it too. Mm. And if I can't make it so that other people are able to enjoy it, then I'm just going to stop trying and pay the right people to do it, you know? Yeah, it's interesting if you if you frame each aspect of that DIY profession, for lack of a better term, as kind of an individual job, I feel like it makes a lot more sense than the way that it is usually discussed. It reminds me of that, I think it was in that Tim Ferriss book, mm-hmm. talking about the difference between like a founder and a CEO in like a company context and how a lot of people yeah. kind of get screwed and end up screwing their businesses if they get successful because they start it and they assume that they have to like be the CEO because they started it. And they don't realize that at a certain point, like that becomes its own like job description. Like it becomes involved enough and requires specific enough skills that it's actually a better move to kind of step laterally and let somebody else do that gig while you do some other thing. And I feel like that's something that always gets blurred in a DIY creative setting, especially is that expectation that you're going to be, now you're going to put on your mixing engineer hat and you're going to just switch over to scientist brain and then like, oh shit, I got to get on the social media. I'm going to switch to PR brain. It's like, those are completely mm. different job descriptions. And then like the sixties, you would have just hired 10 people. And it's like, <laughs> right. don't have right. the money obviously, but it's such a crazy unfair thing to have to carry by yourself mm-hmm. and to expect to just like naturally be good at all of those things at one time at all times. Mm. Yeah. It's crazy when you really think about it. Yeah. I think you throw in the factor of just time into that. Yeah. On top of just like trying to do all those skills, you have to also be able to complete it in a certain amount of time or it'll never come out, um, I think is a huge thing. Yeah. And then um, the, the, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, and then the time that you have to take these days to learn different social media and learn how to apply, yep. <laughs> like you not only have to learn the skills, but how to apply the skills as they continue to change in front of you every year or two, you know? Exactly. I've, I've so far learned one social media <laughs> and I and I haven't learned it well. Just Instagram and it stresses me out. Well then that's the other part of it is like all of these things, after you've learned them, after you've assembled all these pieces and done all the work, whatever, you then have to show up like bright eyed and bushy tailed and like make a forty second like TikTok or something where you're like, Hey everybody, here's my new record. It's yeah. like that's like I always thought that when like touring and stuff that like you have this whole crazy day and it's this whole like it's basically just the most insane commute ever because all you're doing is getting to work and you can be like sleep deprived and sick and all this other shit. But once you get there, like you have to put on a smile and you have to be like, okay, like this, cause it's new to everybody there Hmm. and you have to kind of act like it is to you too. And it's, I always find that really funny, especially with the social media that like after all the trials and tribulations of making an album or writing or whatever it is, like really putting your guts on the line, like then you have to show up and be like, okay, everyone let's go. And it's like, God, yeah. I usually just want to lie down. Yeah. I mean, yeah. All the time, but especially at that time. <laughs> and who wouldn't? Yeah. <laughs> Social media is also just like, like, because I think a lot about like mediums, like the project I'm doing right now, like the stuff I'm writing is like I do like an EP and it goes along with an ongoing like fiction story. Mm-hmm. And like those are two very different mediums in its own thing. But then you also, in order to try to get people to just try, I, I don't, I honestly don't care really about like trying to go viral or anything like that but just like trying to get people that you like even know personally (laughs) to know it's there you have to like 
present it in a way that like works for the medium so that way like the algorithm like like puts it forward and then but like how do you tell a just as genuine story in a medium that like has its has so many restrictions like compared to a lot of other ones Mm -hmm. if that makes any sense yeah and you don't always know when the algorithm changes so it's really easy yeah, to go for like know. six months and feel like, God, I must be sucking. Like people must really hate this shit or something. And then find out like, no, they just, they've been pushing it down. Like I'm not buying ads or, mm-hmm. or you know, something yeah. on that side has changed and your art has to change with it in a weird way. It's crazy though. Like I remember when I used to share a lot of my fiction, I would do it mostly through Tumblr. And like I had a decent amount of followers on Tumblr and when you would share the link on Facebook, people would actually go to it and engage with it. And now when you share a link on Facebook, it doesn't want you going to a different site. Yeah, it doesn't different, want you to leave. Yeah, so like <laughs> the algorithm is going to tone that down. But even still, even if it did get through, I guess I do this with my Patreon. If I share a link on Patreon, it, it'll get like a decent amount of listens, especially if it's a, a free thing. Like I probably half the content I put on Patreon is like you don't have to pay to, to see it or listen to it. Um, so I'm just like, really, I just want a place to catalog my progress on, on things and be able to be able to share it. If you want to pay a little bit of money, great. Some content will be paid content, but, but back to the Tumblr thing, like I just can't imagine that working now. Like it worked really, really well 10 years ago and Mm. now it, I can't imagine it working at all. Like the, the social media landscape is just so different from what it was then. And it's very different from like platform to platform yeah i think i mean i've never used tumblr i i post on royal road mm. and there there are like tricks like very very distinct like tricks of like this is how you actually get people to like see that your story exists mm. like you have to post at this time and like this often at first and all that and there's nothing wrong with any of that but it's definitely a headache to try to keep up with especially if i, I find that a lot of times i don't know about you guys but if i'm given the choice between like trying to make something come out how I how I envision it and like trying to make it come out in a way that people will like more people will see it I tend to just be like well I kind of just want to make the thing I wanted to make Mm. yeah I struggle with I have a question for you in a second too about the fiction the fiction world and and what it's like to share writing but quickly I just wanted to say I I struggle with um, how singles are being released now just because Mm. only really because they're so different from how it was 10 or 20 years ago where it was usually it was like you'd hear a single on the radio or you'd see the video on MTV then the album comes out then the second single drops and you're like okay now you know we'll we'll release a few more and depending on how successful the first few things were potentially the entire album like like half the album is going to be released as singles at at a certain point but now it's like you want to release four singles before the album even comes out and like I get why, but is that the best way to do it? Like, is that, I don't know. To me, like, that's kind of a simplistic version of of what I'm hearing when I hear, like, stick to the the vision. If that vision is like, well, this is what was modeled for me, so this is what I've always imagined this being like when when this music comes out, you know? But I wanted to know, like, what are you finding as a fiction writer? Like, how do you get readership? And how does that compare to getting listenership in your experience? Well, my gut reaction was to say I just don't. <laughs> um, I, my story is very small, and but growing very, very slowly, mm. um, which is cool. Yeah. Again, I've really, 
like that's the point where I kind of just like don't really know what I'm doing. I, I used to post like each week I, I post a chapter. I would post like a little image with the name of the chapter on Instagram and be like, oh, it's up. Yeah. But like Instagram and royalroad.com are like just two completely different like universes that you have you'd have to like teleport to to get like to get from one to the other <laughs> right and so you kind of really had just have to figure out how to talk to people in both of those places and, and like actually you know it's actually really similar to just like the diy music scene um at least in my experience okay. um of just checking out other people's stuff and like not even like as a ploy like just like you're trying to find stuff that you also enjoy on the same platform and just let them know, hey, it's cool. Like, I'm enjoying this. And a lot of times they'll check out your stuff too. So is, um, is Royal Road a platform kind of like WordPress where different writers can follow each other? Uh, yeah. I mean, it's it's writers and readers. Okay. Um, yeah. There's like a lot of readers and there's a lot of writers who are like people who do both. It's mostly like lit RPG type stuff, which is not what my story is. It's like weirdly adjacent to that. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that's what I've found is like, when, when I just find something that's cool, I just try to let them know. And a lot of times they'll, or a lot of times that's how I've found stories of someone else commenting and be like, oh yeah, those like just even something just like, oh, this part was cool or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I go check out their profile and I see that they have a story and I go and I go read it because they were nice enough to take the time to read mine. Yeah. And I feel like that's kind of, I've been doing music longer. So I think more people like I've, I've gotten to know more people and more people have have heard Circlebrook than like have read Conscious Conscientious, but like a lot of times it's just through just talking to the other musicians about music yeah. and checking out their music and they check out yours. Mm -hmm. um, but also <laughs> as a very small artist, and maybe that's why, or maybe it's just the type of music it is. I've found that similarly with like, like readers reading other readers, I feel like Circlebrook the people who listen to it are just other musicians. <laughs> yeah. And that, and that, I, I love that, but yeah, I don't know if that answers your question in any form, but no, it kind of does. Yeah. Like it's a little bit more word of mouth and artists sharing work with each other than it is civilians. I guess <laughs> <laughs> we should normalize that. Yeah. No, I was listening to a podcast, um, just uh, this afternoon while I was cleaning and one of the hosts was saying, you know, he's, he is a designer for a living and he's done a few product rollouts and used to be in the toy business and everything. And um, he was like, you know, I've had some successful products launch, but at this point in my career, I would consider it successful if more people bought it that didn't know who I was than were buying it just because it was attached to my name. Yeah. You know, because he's like very influential in the maker community. So like he'll he'll roll out a bunch of like cool custom tools and stuff like that. And people who just follow him on YouTube and, and know who he is from the maker universe will buy it because it's cool, you know. But he's like, I would count as, as as a success if I was selling more units to people who had no idea who I was. And that's how I would know that it was a good marketable product rather than I'm the marketable product, you know. Right. And like looking at yourself as the product, I think we can all say like we at least know that our fellow musicians will consume the things that we put out. They'll at least give it a listen or a read or whatever yeah. it is. But yeah, it's a, it's a whole different thing, like kind of wanting, you know, wanting the people who don't know you at all to be interested and to somehow find it and count as consumers there. Yeah. 
there's a vanity to that, sure. But it's also, <laughs> it would be great because it, then it would be more, more sustainable for you to keep creating. But it also changes the process a lot. Like that's something I noticed um, working in comedy stuff that like there was an emphasis, like typically the crowd. I mean, there were comics there like almost every time there's a good amount of comics the same way we would have like, you know, the bands would watch each other. Like that dynamic was there, but like overwhelmingly it, it was civilians. And mm -hmm. I noticed like over time, it's like the emphasis was on the, the result, not the process. And for musicians, yeah. a lot of time, the talk that you hear backstage or outside the club or whatever is like, a lot of times it's about like, Oh, like, how'd you do this? Or how'd you do that? Or like, you know, you're talking shop, you, you understand there's like an empathy, like you understand that like this is a constantly evolving thing right and the civilian crowd were so much more like make me laugh like they would say it like they would say like make me laugh come on <laughs> yeah and like if you didn't god help you and like it was it's such a different approach and i i know it was really fun in those circumstances because it's kind of a different type of challenge and it made it it made all the comics seem to me like because i was sort of like less of an outsider as it went on but in the beginning definitely a wicked outsider like it, it kind of made everything feel really tight. Like when you went backstage, it was like you were, it was very much like going to Hogwarts. <laughs> like just kind of like you're going through that platform wall and you're like, thank God all these muggles are out there, but like they can't get back here. Like, so there was like a nice intimacy to that, but it was also yeah. like creatively, it was just so different. And I've, I always wondered, like, cause I used to really think that's the ideal. Like as a musician, you want to get to a point where your stuff is so broadly appealing that you can, you know, get a few layers out and like, it's still paying your bills and filling your halls and whatever, but it totally would change it. And it really made me rest assured in the idea that a, a cult following might be the ideal, at least for me, it would be the ideal where like, you still have a significant percentage of people who get it and like know the deal mm. that are like in your world, but it expands out a little bit so that you're not like constantly like leaning on your friends when you need to like go on the road or whatever. But it was weird seeing it in that context. Cause it's, it's still creative, but it's a little bit more dog eat dog. Yeah, it would be wild if like you were playing an original song at like a DIY show and someone was just like, You have to make me like they're just like, make me feel. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, make me cry. <laughs> make me sad. <laughs> I mean, that is kind of the unspoken challenge. All I guess the time, so. Yeah, but it's it? weird when it's spoken. That's the thing. I always thought like, oh, this, this is like cool. Like this is what I'm gonna go up like. I go in with that mindset, but having people say it back, it's like, oh, shit, I don't know if I can. <laughs> yeah, that seems like a, another another world. I did actually play a set one time at in the middle of a comedy set, like an alt-comedy set, and I came up and I played like my saddest like three songs that I could think of, and it, it really was like a tense atmosphere, because it was a comedy show <laughs> for up until that point, but... The, like the crowd like didn't know what to do with our act and this lady came up to us after and she's like you know I didn't know if I was like supposed to laugh or if you guys were like really depressed but when he came up and started playing those those folk songs about wanting to die that's when I knew this is a joke because like nobody's that sad so I was like oh now I can laugh <laughs> I was just what like, an interesting take like, <laughs> like I was you just the first there, depressed like, person ah. she'd ever met yeah, yeah apparently <laughs> I was like man this is so different from like the chess company or something yeah but I do think there is something really special about like the fact that like something that's as small as the chess company or just any type of DIY scene like that is so like community and like most of the people there are making stuff. I know a lot of people really are trying to make it turn into something like bigger than that, but it is, I feel like in a really real and vulnerable form when like, you know, you're not, I mean, maybe, maybe some people are, but you're more there to like share 
mm-hmm. the art and hear mm-hmm. other people's and like there's nothing wrong with pursuing that uh, to a higher level. I think all of us would want that to work out. But yeah. Matt, I don't think I've ever asked you this, and I'm curious how many people have. Did you ever play that lady's birthday party? <laughs> mm, which one? Okay, so no one's ever asked you this. <laughs> the question sounds familiar, but... Oh, the the live songs that are on whichever one of your albums has the busking songs on it. Oh, yeah. And there's oh, one of them yeah, where yeah. Like, some lady comes up to you and asks you if you play birthday parties. <laughs> Shit, I forgot about that. I guess I didn't. I mean, maybe... Okay. Maybe I did, but... I, don't, I think I would have remembered that. Okay. I don't know. Okay. I completely it's, forgot about for that. For some yeah. reason to me, that's a very memorable interaction that happens in that section of the album. <laughs> and I've never asked you before. So did you did you play the birthday party? Was it a subdued <laughs> performance? Was It <laughs> It would have been if I did. Yeah. Hmm. That was always my favorite thing, getting those kinds of requests, because it's like, you don't, like, a, they'd hear me play, like, Wagon Wheel, and they'd be like, oh, yeah. this will go well for three hours. <laughs> I yeah. was like, well, that's, <laughs> I got 20 minutes of Wagon Wheel and John Mayer that I do in the subway over and over to make the Berkeley kids happy. John Mayer is some mileage, yeah. Yeah, but the rest of it is not that, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> I try to get paid up front. <laughs> now, that, um, the vocally demanding the response or vocally demanding the the make me laugh thing. Like it made me think of um, doing like sets prompt style, which not a lot of people do. I've tried to do it in uh, other shows, but there was one night at the hearing room when the hearing room was still around and it was me, Max Clark and Joe Follin. It was the first night I ever met Joe Follin. And uh, I had this idea because the owner asked if we wanted to do like a songwriter's round, like play, play in the round. So we're all on stage at once. And I was like, yeah, okay. And then I realized, like, I didn't really have a set prepared, and I didn't know how that was going to go. And so I just went, like, what if we were all on stage at once, and we only played songs based on prompts shouted by the audience? So it's like improv comedy. But we're, <laughs> we're basing cool. everything we play, like, no set list, just first thing that comes to mind when someone shouts the word blue or whatever. I remember some guy shouted happy as one of the prompts, and we were all just like... <laughs> <laughs> no <laughs> there's no songs for that <laughs> but it was interesting like every single it, it puts you in that weird I have to satisfy this demand headspace like it might be an, a very abstract connection that you have to from that word to that song but it's still like you're trying to convey to whoever shouted that or ideally to the whole audience that like, yeah, I can connect the word chicken to like this <laughs> song that I wrote at some point. It might be an obscure thing in my catalog, but OK, yeah, it was fun. <laughs> I always like for a while after that at many gigs, I was like, I don't have anything prepared. Anybody want to give me a prompt? And no one's ever down. Like you really have to kind of set the precedent. Like you'll always get one person shouting something, but not a lot of people want to like be an audience participant in that way unless you kind of set the expectation beforehand. I've never done anything like that before. I mean, like the closest I've gotten is just like uh just like a troll two gig and that if we ran out of songs, we still had time or whatever, we just ask what song people want to hear. Like yeah, I mean anyone's yeah. done that, but never have we like tried to tell a story that way. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds fun though. I've been thinking about trying to get something like that going now because I'm, I'm booking shows again and I feel like I have the opportunity to, to put something like that together where there is an expectation for it. Yeah. So I, mean, I don't know how many musicians are... Because so many people are, are really 
Like there's a there's a, a safety and security to planning a set list and planning like this is how I will present myself to you and this is how you will see me. And like there's a very right. give and take transactional thing to that where like you want to be seen a certain way. I think like, yeah, there's a lot of security in that. But being able to let that go would be absolutely necessary. Like you couldn't do the the improv comedy type performance without letting go of that. Like I'm going to be in complete control over over what I do tonight, over like how I project myself to the audience. So I think it, that's all to say that like there would be certain songwriters I don't that I think wouldn't be down, but there are definitely a lot of performers out there who would who would love that. You know. Oh yeah, I also think you need to have a lot of songs to do that. <laughs> Yeah, you kind of do. I mean, it doesn't prohibit covers, you know, like. That's true. I think the first one that Fallen played was Fly Me to the Moon. (laughs) (laughs) So. I think those situations are also really great for playing a cover that you know, like 25% of. Yeah. But like telling the crowd, like just being like, look, I've got like verses one and two. Yeah. And half of the chorus, which means you've got about 45 seconds to Google (laughs) what the hell the rest of the words are and just get involved. And like, I've had some of my favorite moments on stage or just like, you know, playing a gig in general with those kinds of situations. Like I wouldn't just do it like and expect a room to get on board. But if it's like the right kind of crowd, like Puzzle Factory crowds are always that way, like chess company crowds, like anything at Owen's Barn, like so many in that scene and like even certain times busking. There's just, you can tell, like, there's that sacred thing going on. Like, everybody's kind of on the same wavelength, and it's really just a cool feeling. And whenever you can, like, then start throwing that type of interaction into the mix, it, it's always, like, a, the right kind of train wreck. But I just, I love it every time. Like, because sometimes there's different interpretations of what those lyrics are going to be, and those start competing, and it's, like, I, I don't know. It's just always really nice and, like, a really cool, like, kind of an intimacy, kind of a bond between... Mm you and the crowd in that moment. I've just always really enjoyed that, but I, that show would probably be a perfect opportunity to just make it super interactive like that, especially because yeah. everyone's so creative in that whole scene. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's like everyone would be making this, the whole event together, like including the audience or the citizens as, or what, whatever. What, what did you say? It was Joel? <laughs> the civilians. <laughs> civilians. <Yeah>. Citizens. <laughs> citizens of <laughs> punk or whatever, folk. We're checking licenses. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that's part of, uh, let me check your papers. Um, I feel like that's part of what Matt and I were talking about the other night about like, how, how has it been to get back into performing and like regaining the intimacy with the audience as a solo performer is something that you don't feel is going to be easy. Yeah. I just, I think I was just saying, I don't feel like I'm in a position yet yeah. where I can do that in a, natural or safe way. Like I don't yeah. feel like I can unmask just given the way that my own life is right right now. Mm. And I think that to be, to feel like that connection as a folk performer, cause I still like whenever I've played with nervous, I've had a blast. Like that's been right. really, really fun, but I don't sing. I don't have to like feel the room the way that I would if I was playing solo. And my favorite things about, like I don't get any real kick out of playing my songs like i mean i like them but like enough but you know it's not like i'm getting do up you mean literally like, unmask yeah yeah oh i didn't i don't think i've ever realized how much of this was tied to covid precautions for you oh it's entirely that yeah i'm not trying to oh okay i'm not All right. extending this <laughs> I anything definitely thought it was figurative this whole time i just assumed that you were at an emotional deficit and <laughs> no i'm literally saying like i don't think i can enjoy this oh until okay. i can stop wearing this thing that's <laughs> like okay. it's a very simple right. yeah <laughs> 
I mean, I have changed too. Like creatively, I've I've really felt like I've changed, and I don't know how to reflect that in my songs. But yeah, um, and so I haven't. But but yeah, no, it's it's literally just a simplistic. Like my favorite things about playing solo shows were that feeling of like when you get the room kind of in the right. Like you feel like you know the crowd. You feel like you know the right distance from the mic. You feel like you know like how shit's gonna bounce off the back wall if you sing a certain way. Like that was my absolute favorite thing: busking, doing folk shows. Mm. Even in the crappiest dive bar scenario where people are like coming at you literally or figuratively, like just being in the thick of it, like I just love that shit. And I feel like I can't do that right now, just given the way that like I can't bring the results of that home. Yeah. And uh, so yeah. a lot of it's that. It's just like I've been doing it a while now and I just don't feel like it's worth it unless I can get that kick because it's just. Mm. But full band is different. Full band is like it's just fun as hell anyway. I, what's slowly coming back to me, because I haven't been playing very often, but what's slowly coming back to me is, like, the appreciation for audience participation and, like, I guess not even participate, but interaction with the audience, you know? I can mm. remember, I don't know if it was last year's Together Fest or, or what it was, but in 2021, like, late 2021, when I'd played no gigs, I got on stage and, like, I felt like I bombed. And I know that it wasn't a bomb in, like, the truest sense. But there was no feedback or no, like... Like, a good set sometimes feels like a really good conversation, a really good social interaction. It's like it enlivens you by the end of it in, in kind of the same way. And I've, I felt like I had just been screaming into a void to no avail. And, like, it just it felt like nothing. Mm. And I was like, I don't think that I performed poorly necessarily but I wasn't being energized by the interaction as, as the performance went on, you know? So that, I think that's one of the things that I'm slowly regaining as I play a little bit more and a little bit more and like kind of relearn how to be in that social conundrum. Like you kind of have to find your way through the maze of, of how that's going to go. If you're referring to that, that one show. You were there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The one, I would think it was Max's first ever show. Yeah, I, I can confirm they did not bomb. I, I definitely enjoyed it. <laughs> I don't know. I, it, again, it didn't feel like a bomb. It it felt like, you know, I, I always leave the stage feeling like I could have done a little bit better, but mm. it didn't feel like a bomb bomb. It just felt like just felt off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's how all. I feel when I can't see like the audience. Yeah. Like on like playing on like small stages where there's still like the big stage lights, but you can't see past like what would be the first like row. Right. You just can't see any faces. It's just like silhouettes and it just looks like everyone's just like a ghost. Yeah. Like that that's exactly how I feel is just like none of this is landing one hundred percent of the time. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, you just don't get that reinforcement, you know? I think doing live shows is weird. It has always been weird for me, but well partially because I spent years and years doing like worship music right? and I did that, um, I like led worship and that is, a, and I was like the leader a lot of times. So that is a very different thing yeah. than performing your own songs where you're trying to accomplish all of it. And I think like just like changing and growing like spiritually and like removing some things from, from beliefs and adding more and maintaining some, you know what I mean? That whole mm -hmm. transformation, I guess, and not really knowing exactly where I'm at and all of it can put me in a really weird spot when it's like, cause right. I'm supposed to present myself, but if I don't know exactly who I am, then like, 
how do I present myself in a way that is meaningful to other people? So mm-hmm. I feel like I, I was really resonating with the, uh, our accidental, uh, figurative interpretation of, of, uh, Matt, um, <laughs> with the mask. Cause I feel like I have to do like, like present like a, almost like a cliff notes version of my, or like a ambiguous version of myself or, right. or lean on the, the air of like mystery. But in reality, I'm kind of just like trying to hide from like the social anxiety that would come from just like being very like vulnerable and open. That's kind of the main hurdle for me. Like, it's not that I have anything to hide or like anything I'm embarrassed to talk about or anything. So I don't, I don't really know what that is, but it's definitely interesting going from kind of just being able to make songs about anything in my room to, okay, well now I'm here in front of everybody. Yeah. For me, like, I kind of had this, it wasn't really a revelation. Like it's something I'm always kind of struggling with for most of the shows that I go to play, but in particular, not only at the chess company, but a lot of the time at the chess company, this will happen. If I know that I'm on a bill with other people who play folk punk or just like, you know, heavier music or whatever, like, I don't know of very many people who play similarly enough to me that... I could like get on a bill with them and feel like, okay, we are in the same tribe here. Like we are, you know, right. Playing exactly the same genre, setting exactly the same tone. There's so much variation in genre and tone and, and just what an attitude and whatever that I always feel like I'm going to be clashing on this bill. Like I'm, I'm the one that doesn't belong on this bill. Right. And so therefore I have to set myself apart and therefore I have to kind of put on this, this mask, this figurative mask of, you know, well, I have to take this so earnestly that you do too. I have to take myself so seriously that you'll have no choice but to take me seriously, <laughs> right? And then if I'm lucky, <laughs> the gracious thing happens, which is that I'm taken out of that like ego place. And then I'm able to experience enough of the community once I am present in the space that I no longer feel like I have to set myself apart. Like the best community situations are, are able to just kind of open you up and... And allow you to to be seen for who you are and not for what you want to project to the world. What do you think it is about, like, because, I mean, we've talked a lot, especially on this thing, about, like... I thought you always call our podcast this thing. <laughs> well, it's, it's, you know, it's implied. <laughs> it, is, it is literally a thing, yeah, so... Yeah, yeah, yeah technically yeah. I'm not wrong. I mean, <laughs> but, you know, like, we've talked a lot about, like, that spectrum from introversion to crippling social anxiety yeah (laughs) and how like performing sometimes kind of fits weirdly into any gap on that like how like so many people like i have like crazy social anxiety but for some reason like if i'm in a cocktail party inside i am burning alive like i am just melting down i get i don't know if it shows but i am freaking out what if you're wearing velvet well then i'm fine (laughs) completely yeah (laughs) so that's been the key but no, like if I go on stage, I'm still freaking out until I play that first note or until mm. I sing that first word. And then it's not just that I can like play the songs, but I can talk to the people that I couldn't talk to three seconds ago mm-hmm. and I won't be able to talk to 35 minutes from now. For some reason in that situation, it's like, it's okay. And for me, it's a mixture of introversion and social anxiety, but it's weird. Like the, that exercise and vulnerability like that, it's there is definitely a figurative mask that happens too, mm-hmm. which is changing right now too. So I guess it's not just the literal one, but it's something about either like 
I don't know if I'm like fully putting it on or kind of fully taking it off, but something changes with it in that moment. And what do you guys think it is about performing, specifically performing solo, that allows people who who have these kinds of demons to exercise or these kinds of feelings to process or just difficulty just walking right into a room and clicking with the group? You know, why is it that we can walk on a stage and just kind of do our thing consistently? Well, for me, it's a an essence of like, I don't want to say fiction, but I, I guess there's like an imaginative side to it. Mm. So even mm. if you're being, even if you're presenting yourself and like you're up there and being vulnerable, like it's a, in a way it's a story. It's like yeah. something someone can, like they can digest in a way that feels more, or at least it feels like you're telling a story kind of thing, or at least portraying one, even if it is something that you actually feel personally. I don't know. I think, I think that kind of like changes the, the, the environment for, at least for me. I was thinking a lot about like what Joel was saying uh, or talking about because I'd never heard of of paracosms if I'm even saying that word right. You are, yeah. Um, and I was thinking a lot about that, and it, it, I didn't even realize like I've kind of just done that my whole life. Mm. Whether it just be because like, you know creative people tend to just be imaginative and stuff like that, but a lot of times looking back, growing up, a lot of times it's just been a crutch to just kind of maintain this like fictional reality. Or, or understanding of a fictional reality that's going on in the outside or whatever, just to help cope with, or not, maybe not cope, but just feel a little bit more comfortable. Because mm-hmm. I'm, I mean, I'm also an introvert and I'm in my head a lot. So yeah. um, that they kind of just go hand in hand. And I feel like a song in a lot of ways is also a story, even if it's very literal. Yeah. Um, it kind of puts me, it puts you back in that, that safety net of like, I'm in like my like imaginary world even if it's real. That was kind of Bowie's approach, wasn't it? Like to a more extreme extent, because he would literally create and name characters and then go up and tour as that character. But Mm. like, I think it was a similar kind of thing where like he was able to kind of step into that person's shoes. And I never knew for, for a long time that it was quite that literal for him that he would actually like consider himself transformed Mm. and then walk out on stage, but he would go out and he would be enacting fiction when he was out as Ziggy or whatever. Yeah. And I think even Beyonce does a similar thing. Um, I think she calls it Sasha Fierce. And that's like I've the person that. that she is when she walks out on stage. Right. And mm. that's the person who's able to do all of the shit that we see Beyonce doing. And yeah. So it might be a more common thing than we realize. I mean, drag queens do that too. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I was also thinking yesterday about the right partner for us has to be somebody who can emotionally react to our emotions. And there are a lot of people who don't connect in that way, who like kind of there's a disconnect. And the reason for the disconnect is like, I'm easily able to intellectually react to a lot of people's emotions, but that's not what's required in like a marriage or a best friendship or something like that. You have to be able to emotionally react to someone else's emotions. And going from that thought about like why that is necessary in like a marriage immediately to like, that's why being on stage is so good. Because you are setting, like, there's that, there's that social contract. There's, like, a, an unspoken agreement that if you are singing your emotions, the audience isn't required to emotionally react to it, but that's why they're there, in a sense, if it's a listening room. But this might be why, like, if you have that kind of social anxiety and you need to just, like, be heard and be able to, like, I, 
I might have a hard time having a positive, productive, easy social interaction in this setting. But I want to know that once I'm on stage, because of the position that I put myself in on stage, I can be emotional and have the expectation that people will respond emotionally. I think for a, like a, that's a very simple way of putting it, but I think that's a lot of what we want, whether it's out of a partner or a friend or an audience member, is for someone to be able to have an emotional reaction to our emotions. Yeah, like a, it's like like an agreed upon emotional setting. Yeah, everyone knows what they're there for, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, and it flips the the power dynamic around a little bit, where the crowd is the majority in that situation, and you're the minority, but it would be weird of them to not get on your emotional wavelength. Like I think people can feel it's almost like FOMO or something like people can feel the fact that they're not doing the thing that is supposed to be happening. I think if like, if somebody's up there, like just singing their goddamn guts out, like a really heart wrenching set and the crowd's just kind of like screwing off or like not responding in kind, mm. it feels tense. Like it feels assuming they're paying enough attention to know that something's up. Like it's not a pleasant room to be in. And I feel like people are more apt to get on your, your wavelength in that kind of setting. Mm -hmm. Same way. Like if they're sitting there all kind of dour or all sad and you're up there like doing just rocking out, (laughs) having a great old time, like it just doesn't feel right. And they're not congruent. And Mm. yeah, that's an interesting way to think about it. Yeah. 